Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today are two venture capital and national security veterans, Philip Bilden and Raj Shah, who together formed a new VC firm, Shield Capital, that just celebrated its first year as a fund. Fund One at $120 million became public in March, having invested in more than 70 companies. Philip, as everyone knows, was the co-founder of Harbor Vest uh, Partners, a private equity firm. And Raj, uh, of course, is a legendary F-16 pilot and entrepreneur. Uh, who also happened to be the former director of the Defense Innovation Unit. Uh, guys, uh, welcome to the program. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you, Vaga. We're pleased to be back with you. Uh, a pleasure again to have you guys uh, aboard. Uh, before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and our coverage of the Air and Space Force Association's Airspace Cyber Conference and Trade Show was sponsored by Leonardo, which along with Safran is sponsoring uh, our coverage of the Association of the United States Army's uh, general meeting that's happening uh, this week. Uh, Philip, uh, congratulations, and Raj, both uh, congratulations on uh, the first year. Uh, you guys, uh, you know, have been have been around for a first year, but you emerged from stealth mode uh, in March. Uh, for many of the people in this audience, uh, Philip, uh, this is a very well capitalized space. It's awash uh, with VC firms, each one of which has their own thesis. Tell us a little bit about Shield and what makes you guys, uh, or at least what makes you guys think you're different from everybody else. Well, Vago, um, we decided to build something that the market does not have right now, addressing cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, autonomy, and space innovation. And while there are companies and defense primes and some venture capitalists that will um, have exposure or make investments uh, in these areas, there was no one firm that had brought together all of the, the people that you would need with the expertise that would be required to build out both a successful financial um, investment platform, but also one that would actually help the underlying um, innovators, the, the company founders, build their businesses. These are early stage enterprises right. where they're pre-revenue and they, they need people that have done this before. Um, they need them on their board. They need them to help uh, generate revenue. And so Raj and I set out, you know, actually several years ago, and this was in 2015, uh, before Raj had uh, uh, gone to build out the Defense Innovation Unit Experimental. And um, it's only really a year or so past that we right. were able to pull all the pieces together. And that's where we are right now. Raj, you're unique in that you bring a uniformed uh, element to this, uh, an entrepreneurial element to this. You uh, have the DIU piece of this, obviously, uh, and now again the VC uh, VC uh, piece of this. I know this is a little bit of a of a of a of a tricky uh, question, um, you know, because um, as as Philip said, right? I mean, those are the sort of areas where you guys are uh, investing. Well, how does it you sift 
the the wheat from the chaff in this, right? I mean, because there's an enormous amount of innovation theater that goes in this space. You and I talked about that a little bit when you were, and we would talk about it a couple of times, actually, when you were at DIUX. Uh, and we just had a conversation with Mike Brown of DIU about that as well. It, you know, what's, what's the process you guys use? You have a lot of thoughtful folks around um, the, the team, whether it's HR McMaster, Tish Long, right, Sean Stackley, uh, and we'll talk about the L3 partnership uh, in a minute, but Sean, former Navy acquisition executive, also is one of your advisors. How, how do you guys go through a discipline process on this? Because at this very, very early stage, right, almost everybody looks promising, and actually some very promising people maybe look less promising. What's the, what's the process you use in order to make best best deploy the capital that you have? Thanks, Vago, and the and the opportunity to talk to to you and your audience. You know, maybe I'd like to start with just just the the high level of of why doing this matters, and then uh, and and then uh, dig down exactly as to how how we do it. Right? I mean, I think <clears throat> we believe that the most existential conflict and threat facing free nations is that between uh, autocracy and, and democracies. And the way we win is by commercially uh, developed innovation where the profit motive is really important, right? We have to double down on capitalism, uh, not, a, uh, not the system that our adversaries are using. So the best companies that will build the best commercial technology for our men and women uniform are the ones that are gonna be the most successful as a business and that are gonna scale and grow and be able to develop, uh, deliver their technology to places like uh, the conflict in Ukraine. And so that then gets to your point, Vago, which is it's really important to invest and bet on teams and companies that are going to be successful and to separate the, 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 the you know, reality from the fiction. And as I often say to, you know, folks in the in the DoD, you know, there's as much uh, BS in the valley as there is in DC. It just smells differently, and so you really need to have a. Team <laughs> it's a little that, sweeter in the valley, that's, isn't it? It's a little nicer. <laughs> that's a, which side you're on, but so you really need a, an experienced uh, team of of entrepreneurs and investors that know what it takes to scale a business. Right? You need a you need a great team that understands. Uh, how to how to run a company a startup be scrappy you need differentiated technology and you needed a market and a strategy that matters and these these are uh, real skills and and I think that's what we've tried to do here at shield is to bring together people that understand the government the government customer as well as understand early stage startup so we have a very robust diligence process that examines all three of those things, where we'll go deep with the team and use our, our years of experience to assess them. We'll uh, do diligence on the market and the technology's applicability to it. And uh, you know we have a pretty narrow uh, sieve and funnel to become a, a portfolio company, but once they do, we're, we're all in and extremely right. supportive to do the hard, hard job of, of building a company. Um, Philip, you you know many of the primes um, over the last couple of years, especially since uh, Ash Carter really founded the IUX. Um, uh, you know George was there first, and then Raj followed and and helped try to give it a little bit more structure. Uh, that then went along to Mike, um, who who then uh, you know further built on on that platform. And obviously everybody is waiting to see who gets uh, who Heidi Shu taps um, um, for the job. 
many again many of the primes have their own you know venture capital private equity silicon valley outreach embassy whatever you want to call it whereas others are doing partnerships and you guys uh, partnered with l3 harris on that what does that partnership signify what is it you guys are trying to achieve and as i mentioned right sean stackley uh former navy acquisition executive who is uh, one of the senior most executives at L3 is also uh, advising you. What, walk us through what this partnership is aiming to achieve, right? Because you guys are a fund, you know, you're a fund one now, right? You've got your own distinct growth, growth path and what it is you're trying to achieve. You're trying to synchronize it with them. Talk to us about the partnership and what you guys hope to achieve and, and the timescale on which you hope to achieve it, right? Because your lifespans per fund are shorter, for example, than, you know, the, the time horizons that generally L3 is working with. Absolutely. So Raj and I thought long and hard about who would be the absolute best partner to deliver the innovation and to add value to these portfolio companies and entrepreneurs. And we locked on to L3 Harris very quickly, uh, really for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it came. It, we just looked at the landscape and looked at where we were investing and where um, L3 Harris in this particular case had uh, great expertise. It was core to their business. They had subject matter experts, 22,000 engineers that could be very valuable to our companies. But frankly, it was really, it came down to the leadership, starting with Chris Kubasic, who is a very decisive, innovative leader. It didn't take him long to figure out that a partnership with Shield uh, would make a lot of sense for L3 Harris's core strategy of being the trusted disruptor in the aerospace and defense industry. Um, Sean Stackley, who is running the, uh, one of their three major divisions, um, which aligns very closely with our investment portfolio, was critical to us. We, we met with him, um, and we've known Sean for a, quite some time, actually, and have great right. respect for him, but he helped bring this about. We actually met on Veterans Day uh, in a cold Arlington uh, office rainy day during COVID and basically had a handshake that led to uh, our strategic partnership with L3 Harris. Um, let me ask you the question, Raj, of what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong. And I wanna, I'm going to come back to the partnership element and the scaling element in a minute, but I wanted to first get your sense to sort of lay the foundation of, you know, some some of the challenges that Mike identified in his uh, interview, right? I mean, uh, too much in, in his exit interview with us, too much bureaucracy, um, not enough people, not enough resources. And if we did have a little bit more people and a little more resources and a little less bureaucracy, um, we really could scale remarkably rapidly, right? To try to help achieve both what you and Philip have been talking about in addressing warfighter needs. There are 50 projects that actually made it through DIU. So when people question its value without a lot of money, actually got real world solutions to problems uh, to, to, or solutions to real world problems. Some of the concerns that he had, Raj, were the concerns that you would talk about, both when you were in office and then after you left office. What are, what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? Where are we improving and where do we need more work, right? Because, because ultimately it's not just about having really good ideas. It's about getting those good ideas into the right hands at, a, at, a, at the speed of relevance, which we were able to do in Iraq and Afghanistan, but as a general rule or sometimes not as able to do through a more classical system and more broadly across, across the force. Uh, thanks, Vago. That's a, that's, a, that's a really important question. You know, and the, the world is really, uh, the world of 
defense innovation and the and the Pentagon. You know, it's really evolved since uh, you know when I first took that job six years ago. And I think Mike Brown has just done an amazing job in moving the organization forward and scaling many of the initial things that you know Secretary Carter had had envisioned. Um, but you know, I think I think you you're right that it hasn't reached its full impact. You know, in the Valley, we have this view that you bet on your winners. You experiment with a lot of different ideas, many of which will fail, but the ones that do succeed, you double down on. And I think as you rightly expressed, the core metric should be how much capability and capacity are you delivering to the warfighter? And nearly 50% of the experimental projects, the cyber style projects that DIU embarked on have transitioned to programs of record. And I think that's an incredible statistic and credit again to Mike and his team. And so I think now what the department has, has struggled with is uh, how do you continue to, to break status quo and reform the bureaucracy to accept uh, and, and double down on this change? And, and so, uh, you know, I think yeah, he's done a wonderful job, but it has not reached its full potential. Uh, and that will require, you know, a concerted effort from both Congress uh, and the Pentagon leadership. So what is, uh, let me let me ask you uh, one more question and, and then get Philip, uh, get your take, right? What's what's the way from your perspective at this point to, to try to do this? And how does, right, because what one of you, what you guys are actually proposing and, and a lot of these capabilities that we're developing, and I think Dr. Carter's original intent was, that actually this will prove very disruptive, but in a very, very right, creative, destructive fashion, right? In mm -hmm. a Christensen uh, fashion. Um, whereas, you know, some of the largest primes in every prime contractor, right? I mean, they have a fiduciary, just as you have a fiduciary responsibility to make money, so do they. So they will defend their corner. Um, and indeed, right, each one of the companies spends enormous amounts of money fighting the good ideas that come from their competitors, right? Yep how do we manage to break some of these log jams and create the incentive structures to let go of the past and actually embrace the future and, and to do it at the speed of relevance? Yeah. Well, I think that's happening, right? So this is what's evolved uh, is that uh, companies, primes have recognized that, look, this technology that's being developed by young teams in a commercially oriented manner are really important. The customer wants it. And it's a different skill set and a different uh, approach you need to, to foster those companies. And so, you know, uh, L3 Harris, again, is a, is a great exemplar of that. I think, you know, their partnership with us recognizes that, look, this type of technology, think AI and uh, autonomy and space, these technologies are going to be really important. They've got to find ways to access new pools of talent and capability and do it in a way that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I think the answer as it always has been in uh, America is that it's going to come from the private sector. It's gonna come from enterprising, risk-taking, you know, entrepreneurial founders. And we just need to have the right level of support, capital mentorship to help them thrive. And, and I think that's the opportunity that uh, Shield, in particular, is is centrally focused on. Um, Philip, um, what you know, what do you see as 
you know, how do you see the situation? How do you accelerate it? And what are some interesting um, examples you have, you know, in your career that you've seen sort of the needle moving commercial idea that's nurtured by folks like you getting into the ecosystem and then maturing into something that's a deliverable? So if we start at the Department of Defense level, um, unfortunately, the DOD is hostage to a budgetary process, which they don't control, and which is part of our um, congressional appropriations process. Um, you mentioned the speed of relevance. Our budgetary process is highly uh, non-aligned and in conflict with what we need to field technologically uh, to our warfighters and our war planners at the speed of relevance right. or at the pacing threat. And we are up against an adversary um, globally that has a very different set of um, uh, restraints or lack of restraints in their ability to move out on a strategic plan as a nation for the whole of society approach to dominate in certain areas. And one of those is artificial intelligence and cyber and in space. Um, and, you know, yet if we go back to what the Department of Defense can do, they're, they're very constrained. Our defense primes are fantastic national assets. Um, they're not perfect, but they, they are patriotic. And yet, to your point, Vago, they are doing their, uh, their fiduciary duties to their shareholders. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. However, I, I would probably not be the first person to comment that they can be rather slow moving and hostage to their own programs that generate revenue. So this is where the whole shield thesis uh, fits in to, uh, to, to be relevant with the creation of technologies that, that otherwise would not, have been, uh, would not have been funded. They go through the so-called valley of death and never see the light of day or commercialization. As Raj pointed out, the most impactful ones will be those that have a commercial success. In other words, the technology worked, it worked at scale. And in some cases, bridges national security and commercial customers, and therefore can, can get into the hands of our cyber command, as an example, or you know, members of our, our Navy or Air Force with certain capabilities. So we're bringing that about now, back to our friends at L3 Harris, um, you know, the core differentiator that we saw was the ability to act very nimbly at the, you know, at the speed of relevance. Not many defense primes have that ability. And that's why our partnership with them is, you know, has been working so well. You know, they've actually adapted to a venture capital timeframe, which is measured in days, not years and making some pretty important capital investment decisions alongside us. So we're, we couldn't be happier. Well, I, I mean, and uh, any, anybody who knows Chris Kubasic knows uh, that that's uh, certainly where um, he's wanted to drive the company as sort of a technology generator uh, and then be able to strike new and innovative partnerships. We saw it uh, with the KC390 and on the air tractor contract and a number, uh, and a, and a number of others. Um, you know, Raj, I want to go back to you in terms of uh, the balance point, right? I mean, folks like uh, Dr. Eric Schmidt, uh, former chairman of Alphabet, uh, and, you know, certainly somebody who has, uh, you know, had a profound impact both on the National Commission on Artificial Intelligence, but also as uh, the co-chair of the Defense Innovation Board, along with former Deputy Secretary Bob Work. 
you know, there's a tendency of the of commercial industry looking at, hey, you know, it's, it, you know, almost as if this is a risk-free environment, right? Take risk, move faster. Uh, what's wrong with you? Whereas military people, and now I'm appealing to the uh, fighter pilot side of you, right? The operator side of you, um, you know, fascinating discussion at the Atlantic Future Forum uh, aboard HMS Queen Elizabeth, where there was that little bit of a push and pull and the, the chief of the general staff, uh, General Sir Patrick Sanders, was making the case, hey, look, you know, some of this technology is really great, but at the end of the day, you know, AI and machine learning and all this stuff is terrific, but at the end of the day, my troops have still got to get across uh, a river under fire. And we tend to be conservative and go with things that work in part because, you know, we're, we're the ones who get shot at. From your standpoint, what's the balance point? What's the key to understanding, you know, that there are, you know, limits to letting the thousand flowers bloom being conservative and yet innovative enough, right? And you were trying to strike that balance when you were at, at DIUX, you know, and indeed through your career. What's, what's the way, the right way to be thinking about this? Because it's it's actually a combination, isn't it? A blend. Yeah, uh, it's a very, very interesting point um, uh, that you bring up, Bago, because I think fundamentally it's a misunderstanding of, of risk. I would almost argue that by not innovating or bringing in the latest capabilities, we're increasing risk, particularly to the worst places, right? So by not taking risk in acquisition and contracting, we are instead transferring that risk to our frontline men and women in uniform, right? They are uh, completely innovative and have a no-fail mindset that they will take whatever equipment and kit we have provided them and they will execute that combat mission to the best of their ability, literally in harm's way. And so, you know, when we think about risk, and in particular, we think about software and commercially oriented products, the difference is that of timeline, right? And the and, and how software uh, is built. And the the processes and the risk matrix that we use for building a fighter jet is very different than the software that uh, you know enables the data analytics and response behind it. So uh, I and I think again, this is where having teams and organizations that understand those nuances and that translation, both in primes and in venture firms and in and in companies, will allow us to get that right mix of risk and reward, where we maximize the value to our warfighters and not bring on more risk. Um, do but do you know you, you've you've both said that you do see signs uh, of progress and obviously innovative companies uh, like your partner uh, are important. We run into these. You know, I'm fortunate enough to you know be covering this industry, covering it for a long time. And when you see real innovation, even though sometimes it seems very very simple, you you know you know it when you see it, right? Um, the Obama administration was trying to move, every administration that I've ever covered has tried to move faster, right? On one level or another. Um, the Trump administration tried to do that and the Lord tried to do that. You know, Raj, you were part of that, uh, uh, that effort. And at the end of it, the verdict is, we're not really sure whether we're moving fast enough. Uh, now there's another drive by this administration in order to try to move faster. You know, pick a better decision, lay the groundwork, uh, right? And, and, then, and then be executed. You know, I know you said that you do see things moving, but are are things 
really moving and what are some specific things we ought to be doing to get the ball to move a little bit faster, I guess, is my question as somebody who's lived it and been scarred by it. Sure. Uh, are we moving fast enough? No. You know, the adversary is not resting. And, and as they say, the, the adversary has a vote on the battlefield. So we absolutely need to be moving faster. We need to get to scale on uh, bringing in commercial innovation. Um, I think, you know, the other positive sign that I see is recognition from the legislative branch that they also have a role uh, in this, in these delays. And so, as you know, there's a, a planning, programming, budget execution reform commission that uh, has been put together and I have the pleasure of serving on uh, and looking at things of how do you keep uh, things like CR and in your reprogramming and, and budget flexibility so that we can uh, begin to buy, field, and develop technologies that are suited for the modern age. Um. And, and you're uh, encouraged so far, right? I mean, Bob Hale uh, is chairing uh, the group and a lot of very thoughtful folks are on it. Eric Fanning of uh, Aerospace Industries Association, for example, is on it as well, a number of other folks. Um, are you optimistic that whatever it is you generate is actually going to generate the kind of change that we need? Because so many people point to the PPB process as being the problem or, or a key contributor to the problem. Well, I'm generally an optimist, Vago. Otherwise, I wouldn't be <laughs> in this line of work. Um, and and look, I, the, the reforms are, need to be made. Uh, I think there's broad recognition and there's real interest uh, on the Hill to do it. So it's early days of the commission. But yes, I'm quite optimistic that uh, we'll be able to help move the ball forward and, and, and support our troops. It's, a, it's your boundless optimism, Raj, uh, that serves as an inspiration to us all. Um, uh, at, uh, Philip, um, let me, let me ask you a question. You know, you've been in the capital business for a long time. Um, I'm not at all trying to date you, uh, but you know, the last administration tried to move to a clean capital framework. Uh, we're still trying to, to do that. I mean, you know, the reality is, um, there's a lot of Chinese capital, the, you know, there's been a lot of Chinese capital focused on venture and in Silicon Valley. And often you find that some of the most innovative companies had Chinese money in it. And in exchange for that, um, some Chinese investors demand access to the proprietary technology, uh, right? I mean, as you do the due diligence process, you're going to gain insight uh, into this. Uh, there are those who recommended, uh, and I've actually discussed this with uh, Chinese, you know, uh, somebody who is Chinese and invests a lot of money said, look, at the end of the day, I just want to make money, just like your guys want to make money in China, I want to make money here. You know, I, I don't care, you know, if there's a smart fund for us to invest in. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm not sure he speaks for everybody or this or, or the Chinese Communist Party. But talk to us a little bit about this idea of clean capital, how that works, how to realize it, because there is some skepticism in the financial community, whether or not that's even something that's really ultimately possible uh, if your, again, legal responsibility is to make money for your investors ultimately. Sure. I mean, um, short, of, it, short of outlawing Chinese money entirely, right? So. Correct, which, which in an integrated global economy with so many points of interconnection and supply chains and customers and the like, um, it's just not feasible. But what is feasible is protecting our strategic industries. And that's something that um, you know, we need to be much better at doing. 
uh, we have uh, you know, uh, CFIUS uh, uh, protections, which can be a little bit cumbersome and not um, really remedy the, you know, the, the fundamental problems of what I would describe as strategic nation state capital wanting access for um, potential use against you know, the United States or you know, our critical infrastructure. That's, that very much has to be um, protected. Uh, whether we can go to the level of limiting um, private capital from any country coming in to um, support our, our venture capital or technology uh, companies, that, that's, that's just really very hard to adjudicate and to, to manage. Um, I will say this, I, I spent 20 years of my career in Asia Pacific based in Hong Kong um, and observed many, many of the capital flows that we're talking about. And I would say that it's, it is really the, um, those that are connected to state-owned enterprises um, you know, that have to be you know, of concern. Um, we mentioned Mike Brown and his work at uh, Defense Innovation Unit following Raj, and he's done a fantastic job uh, pointing this issue out. I believe he actually authored or had the team author um, a comprehensive assessment of what this risk is, and it's, it's severe. So as an example, Shield Capital, we are extremely careful about who our investors would be. We want them to be so-called clean and trusted capital. And um, we, we do that because we have the choice of, uh, frankly, picking our investors and partner, you know, who we partner with. But we want to be 100% clear that while we are looking for a financial return, we are also trying to achieve a national security outcome through technology and this innovation. And if I could just add one point to uh, your question, are we moving fast enough? The answer is absolutely no, um, you know, because of the inherent constraints of, uh, of a bureaucracy that has you know, $700 billion to deploy each year. Um, and the, you know, the, the one thing I would say as a point of additional optimism is that the technological capabilities that we are developing and, and supporting through our fund, those are actually creating um, the impetus for that bureaucracy to say, you know, we're slow moving and we have, a, you know, we have budgetary constraints, but boy, do we need that low earth orbit um, satellite capability that one of our portfolio companies, Hawkeye 360s generating, you know, particularly as we have seen in the Ukraine conflict. So it will be that technology, Vago, that becomes so, so obviously useful in a variety of use cases for the intelligence community um, or the DOD, that it, will, that it will force its acquisition and implementation. It will just have to have it. Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, as, as they say, from your mouth to God's ears, uh, Philip, because, right, I mean, if you look at the Ukraine war, it's, it's almost a great laboratory for how quickly, uh, right, I mean, we, we had a tendency of saying, oh, you know, training people takes a long time. We're training Ukrainians much faster than many people said we could train them. And they're also unleashing a whole variety of commercial technologies, whether it's Hawkeye 360 or Maxar or uh, uh, SpaceX or Viasat even, uh, right? I mean, L3 uh, just acquired uh, some Viasat uh, properties, yeah. uh, interesting Viasat properties in, in um, um, one, one last question very quickly to both of you, because we're, we're already over time, but we've got less than two minutes, but I wanna get your take on both uh, from both of you on this. 
you know, the, and, and, and Raj, maybe start with you, right? I mean, the, the innovation ecosystem has always existed within DOD. There were always smart people who were out looking for things. InQtel was one of the arms of the CIA. So almost every really interesting company has a little bit of CIA DNA uh, in them. After DIUX, we saw AFWorks, Softworks, NavalX, and you know this proliferation of organizations. And those organizations had organizations, and then commands had their own organizations to the point where there's a sense that this has also become kind of an unwieldy, everybody's trying to outdo each other on innovation. And again, it becomes more theater than reality. From your standpoint, uh, and then Philip, like to get your sense on this as well. Are there too many? You know, you know what I mean? Because once this administration said, hey, we've got to cut some of this back, it was like, oh, my God, they're anti-innovation. And, you know, and I know that if you're in that ecosystem, it seems like you're anti-innovation. On the other hand, there are folks who are like, look, it's, it's not really a shortage of good ideas. We have the good ideas. The question is actually putting the muscle behind them to actually execute them a little bit more about what you were talking about, Philip. Um, right. So I just want to get really quickly your sense on, you know, actually, do we know enough to know about the directions we have to move at? The question is the speed in which we move into some of these directions uh, and, and whether or not the innovation ecosystem itself then becomes actually a hindrance rather than a help. Look, the problems are, are large and the Pentagon and the Defense Department is not one monolithic organization or customer, right? There are multiple groups within it. So I think the more people we have working on this and thinking about this and finding pathways, the better. Uh, and that, you know, I think likewise on the commercial side, there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur where national security is a important part of your strategy as a business. Uh, I think that the Pentagon is open for, for business. You need a good Sherpa to help you along the way, but I think there's opportunities to build amazing companies that are going to create great value and do very, very important things to support democracy around the world. Philip? I would just take it from the perspective of our defense industrial base and innovation. Um, every CEO talks about innovation being agile, um, but it's very difficult when you're a multi-billion dollar enterprise to make that happen. Fago, you talked about some of the, uh, the corporate venture capital uh, groups that are trying to uh, set up venture capital operations. Um, apart from their core businesses, you know, Boeing, Lockheed, et cetera, Raytheon. We wish them success. You know, Lord knows we need more innovation. But the reason we chose to have a hybrid model, really an, you know, this outsourced corporate venture capital partnership with L3 Harris, is that the history of captive operations, like uh, you know, generally called corporate venture capital, the history is not very good at either delivering right. a strategic uh, outcome, delivering a financial return, or frankly, uh, achieving the innovation that was one of the, the core objectives. So our model is very different. Uh, we think it's going to, uh, to generate a lot of returns for our investors. And frankly, it's going to be very, uh, very impactful with our partner, L3 Harris, and hopefully our government and commercial customers benefit from that innovation. Uh, indeed. Very quickly, uh, last question to you, uh, Raj. Um, right. I mean, so where, where do these ideas get winnowed down uh, from your standpoint, right? So at least with the DIU, it was a direct report to the, or, or it goes through a line to uh, the DOD leadership, uh, right? Whereas each of the services, or are you saying, you know what I mean? Because then there's a duplication of effort. 
or do you think that there's actually enough coordination in your experience among all of these that if Naval X actually figures out the better mousetrap, DIUX and the whole ecosystem knows enough about it to be like, okay, well, that's not another mousetrap we need to reinvent. You know, some people describe the Pentagon as the last remaining central planning organization in the world, because even the, uh, the CCP has moved to more um, uh, you know, capitalist views. So uh, I, I, again, I think the problem is so large, uh, you know, it's a $770 billion enterprise that it's okay to have multiple groups trying to solve similar problems. And then you go and you bet on your winners. It's why we have, you know, multiple services, flying airplanes and creating weapon systems and creating cyber effects. It's the same thing on the interaction with the commercial side, the innovation side. It's good to have experimentation, but then what we should do is really double down on our winners and help them grow and get to scale. Gentlemen, thanks so very much. Uh, we wish you nothing but fair winds in following seas. Uh, Raj, uh, aim high. Uh, really appreciate uh, having you guys on the program and look forward to having you guys back on uh, again soon. Thanks so very much. Thank you, Vago. Thank you, Vago. Much appreciated.